Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Our new series in Luke called Glorious Disruption, being taught by our senior pastor, Kevin Dibley, is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. Well, I want to uh, welcome you just to be quiet this morning before the Lord. This is a text that's designed to help us examine our hearts and our commitment to Christ. And I know that this time of year gets really busy, this kind of graduation season, this baseball season, this kind of time of year where everybody's running. And so here's my invitation to you this morning and then looking into the next couple of months. I want to invite you to consider this summer to be a summer of surrender, a summer of surrender, to, to think about over the next little while inviting the Lord to speak into those areas of your life that you know or you may yet learn that he's calling you to surrender up to him. Jesus is now making a transition in Luke's gospel very explicitly towards the cross. And this morning we're going to take communion together. And so I think it's an appropriate time as we come to this text and we participate in communion that we get our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Watch him. Listen to him. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. We all, John had mentioned this earlier, Gabe had mentioned this another way, we have areas of our lives where we don't feel safe with the Lord. We don't feel safe exposing uh, where we're at with the Lord, but I want you to see that this is an enormously gracious text of Scripture. And as we watch Jesus now for the next 10 chapters go right to Jerusalem, as we watch that happen, what we're meant to do is listen to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit calls us in our lives to surrender up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say a couple of things pastorally. I'm just at the beginning. And uh, first I want to talk to those of you who are online. And I've talked to some of you um, the last little while. And I want you to know you're loved. And I know that some of you are in difficulty and in pain and struggling. And I want you to watch Jesus because as he goes to the cross, he's got you in view. And you need to know you're deeply loved and that he's for you. And I want you to know that too because unless you believe Jesus is for you, if you, if you don't understand that this, this march towards Jerusalem, he has you on his heart and mind, then these calls of commitment, these calls of sacrifice will become guilt ridden, they'll become dutiful, um, they'll become um, invitations to failure rather than an embracing of a new life that he has come to give to you. So I'm going to ask you to pray. And the question I'm asking you to ask yourself, the question I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will impart to your life is where am I holding back? 
And some of you already know where that is. But maybe you don't. Maybe you just need a summer of talking to the Lord and saying, you know, I have, I, I have said you can come this far, that's as far. Um, or never again will I risk for you. Or maybe there's a, another calling, a new day where he's calling you. So why don't we just pray that and then let's look at Jesus and then let's take communion together this morning. So let's, uh, let's do that now. Holy Spirit, you search hearts. You take the word, which is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and you are able to pierce deeper than bone and marrow. You are able to go into the very heart of a person, right into the division between soul and spirit. You go right into that place where we're even afraid to go. And so we invite you today through the teaching and life of Jesus to go into our hearts and do the healing, empowering, transforming work that only you can do. Come and do that, Jesus, we pray. Even if we're afraid. For the glory of Jesus, for the nation's sake, for our families, for ourselves, come change us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I originally um, debated whether or not to use this uh, illustration at the beginning. It's not a very politically correct illustration. I was going to call I called it No Turning Back. I was going to call it Burning the Ships. I've, if any of you know this story, but in the 1500s, uh, Hinan uh, Cortez, a uh, group of Spaniards, came into Mexico right at Veracruz. And uh, our family has spent quite a bit of time in Veracruz, Mexico, in that area, um, that's where Lauren uh, actually began to get her love for um, the Spanish-speaking world and Latin America. And uh, one of the glories for us of being in that area of Mexico is to be involved with a college, a Bible college there, where um, they were training indigenous peoples from Mexico in, in theology and church planting, and they were going out into the mountain villages. And so kind of a reversal, of course, uh, Cortez's uh, experience where he came in to conquer Mexico and when he came in the story the legend is as he entered into Mexico when they got to shore they burnt all the ships in other words to say to his people his soldiers uh, the, those that were with them there's no going back there's only going forward now what I've heard uh, historically is that's a bit legendary they didn't burn the ships they actually just took them apart, which is essentially the same thing. They ran them ashore, and then they dismantled them. They took down the sails, they took down the masts, they tore the ships apart, took them to shore, and they said, this is home, and now we go forward. Now, the great news for us as Christians is instead of someone, Cortez was called Cortez the Killer by some, and uh, we have Christ the Savior. And in this passage of Scripture, there is a turning in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke, in the Gospel, records for Theophilus, Jesus setting his face towards Jerusalem. He's going. And the next ten chapters are journey. 
And the way Luke writes is he's inviting you and me to go on the discipleship journey with Jesus. As we watch Jesus and hear Jesus and watch him penetrate and confront and say things, the call for us is to not turn back, to not hold back. That's why I asked that question this morning. No holding back. Don't hold back anything. Because in this passage of Scripture, we're saying there is a kingdom to be had, there's a calling to be had, but there's a Christ who is worthy. And the call for us as we come to this text of Scripture is not to think, okay, now I've got to do it, but to see this one, Jesus, setting his face towards Jerusalem, resolved to go, and to say the only way I can be resolved to leave the things that hold me, to conquer the fears that paralyze me, to move into this mission that he's calling me, to ask the deep question, what's holding me back? For some of you, it may be coming to Christ for the very first time. But whatever's holding me back from trusting and following and going, the answer to that is to look to the one who has gone on our behalf and who has done it in order to reign on our behalf so that he might help us to do that. We can't do this in our own strength. But some of the greatest missionaries in time have gone forward because they've had this glimpse of the glorious Christ. Listen to C.T. Studd uh, in his mission to Africa. He says, let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let's see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets news of our departure from the battlefield. Thank God he's out of there. <laughs> and I just want you to stop and think about that for a moment. What do you want your life to add up to be? When you do the calculations, the auditing at the end, when, the, when you measure out all that you've invested in, what is it that you really want? And I believe when the Holy Spirit calls us, He wants us to lay everything aside and follow Jesus, to invest in the kingdom of God. And I just got a sense, you know, as I was preparing and thinking through, as I've been working through Luke, and again, let me remind you, we are studying Luke so that you might be captivated by Jesus. That's what Waterbrook, we're seeking to be. Waterbrook is a gospel-centered multi, or seeks to be a gospel-centered multi-ethnic family that is captivated by Jesus and called to love others and compelled to make uh, disciples, compelled to love others and called to make disciples to the glory of God. And I just feel like more and more people are circling around Waterbrook going, I've, I've sat in the shadows enough. And I, and I want to serve. But how do I get there? And the big battle is in me. And the big battle is in you. The big battle is in our heart, whether or not we're going to follow and trust and engage. And so that's what I want you to see. We've been talking about the last few weeks what we want to call the cruciform life, where Christ calls us not only to trust in his cross, but to live in light of the cross. And here's what you're going to see in this text of Scripture this morning. The cruciform life is not Jesus saying to us, you have to get rid of all the garbage, all the sin, the hold of evil on your life. That, sure, that's part of it. The cruciform life is giving up good things for the mission and call of Christ. That's what makes it challenging. Not clearly sinful things, but good things that keep us from the God things. The securities that are justifiable that we flee to. We need Christ to set us free to show us what we're holding on to for our peace, 
And the only way to do that is to see Jesus. And so, in this text of Scripture, I'm going to show you three things. First of all, it's really clear, it's repeated, Jesus' resolve. He's going to Jerusalem. And then secondly, his rebuke, which he does regularly with his disciples because they're a lot like us. (laughs) Right? I want you to see his rebuke of the disciples. It's interesting. It's informative. It will help us in in letting go of the things that hold us back. And then I want you to see his recruiting. Uh, He's not, if you you were uh, putting him as a greeter at Waterbrook, he he might turn a lot of people away. Just by the way, this is what I mean when I say follow me. And his recruiting is super helpful because in his recruiting calls, we actually see what he has done, what he is doing as he has left the glory of heaven to take on the cross in order that he might one day wear the crown. That's what we need to see. So let's spend a little bit of time in this text of Scripture. Let's begin with the resolve of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, what did he do? He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Let me just reiterate this for clarity's sake. Our resolve is only possible because of his resolve. And I want to show you that in this text of Scripture. I'm not asking you today to get that guilt pain that gives you that gas pedal push today in your spiritual life, which inevitably means you will run out of fuel halfway through next week. What I want you to do is to see the one who has gone to Jerusalem so that he might go into glory, so that he might intercede for those who have no gas to keep them going on this call to the gospel. This is the great news. He is resolved for a reason, and his resolve is our hope. So let me show you in this text several things about what Luke is showing us in Jesus. Number one, I want you to see that Jesus knew the time. When we talk about his resolve, it begins with an awareness of time. Look at that verse. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So somehow in Jesus praying, Somehow in Jesus' relationship with the Father, Jesus knew this is the time. It's go time for Jesus. And so the time is, it's it's interesting that in the idea of time, Jesus knows that it is the time in his earthly ministry to now head towards Calvary. Jesus knows in Israel's history that this is an appointed time. He keeps speaking about the kingdom of God coming near and the uh, fulfillment of prophecy. And so the Bible talks a lot about Jesus coming at the right time, Jesus coming at the fullness of time. Listen to what Romans 5, 5 and 6 says. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Galatians chapter 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Isn't that a great verse? That is a thick verse. But the summation of this is Jesus knew that this was the time he had to go to rescue sinners to be the redemption for sins 
in order that God might adopt people like me and you into the family of God. Aren't you glad he set his face towards Jerusalem? It was that time. And I just want to say to you that there's a sense in following Jesus also that when you are communing with God by the power of the Holy Spirit, you also know it's time. It's one of the themes of discipleship in the New Testament. We are continually reminded it's time for you to wake up. It's the time to follow Jesus. And I, I want to say that this morning because I think for some of you, you need to hear that today because you've been already hearing it. It's time. It's time to follow Christ. Listen to one of the verses, Romans 13. Besides, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let's cast off the work of darkness and put on the armor of light. Guess what, what Paul is saying there? It's time. You've had enough time with sin and amusement. You've had enough time with the world. You've had enough time. This what hour are we in? Does the Holy Spirit impress upon your heart like he did with Jesus? It's go time. So Jesus knew the time. Jesus also knew the place. He set his face to go where? To Jerusalem. Schreiner says, Tom Schreiner says, Luke 9, 51 to Luke 19, 27 is a travel narrative. And so in this travel narrative, Jesus whines, but he's been up in the north carrying on his Galilean ministry. That is done now. His teaching, his proclamation, his introduction to the kingdom of God is over. It's cross time. It's Jerusalem time. And for the next 10 chapters, everything we hear, everything we see must be interpreted in light of Calvary. Right? So we've been singing about it this morning, but as you read every chapter now in the Gospel of Luke, you've got to ask, where's, what's Jesus thinking? Where's Jesus going? What does Jesus know? And he knows this, Jerusalem. I have to go to Jerusalem. Look at Luke chapter 13. This will come up just a couple chapters later. As he, as he goes and he's making his way to Jerusalem, comes to Jerusalem, the religious leaders are trying to dissuade him, put fear in him. And listen to what it says in Luke 13, 31. At that very house, some Pharisees came to him and said, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox. There's audacity. <laughs> Herod wants to kill you. You go tell that fox. You hear Jesus? You want to know what it means? His face is set towards Jerusalem. No turning back. No turning back. No hesitation. He says, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. What's he talking about there? He's going, what's he do on the third day? He dies on the cross for you and rises from the dead. He dies and rises. This is the gospel. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the following day, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish from Jerusalem. 
Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and, they, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He knows as he goes to Jerusalem, he has to fulfill prophecy in Jerusalem. He has to go to that place where they have killed the prophets because he is the greater Moses. He is the greater Elijah. And the greater prophet will come and do what they could not do, be killed in Jerusalem in order to save the people of Jerusalem. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And that was the same, you know, for the, the disciples. You, imagine, you remember the Apostle Paul? People were pleading with Paul as he's making his way through his last journey. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go there, Paul. And Paul say, why are you trying to stop me? Listen to Acts chapter 21, 14 to 16. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. It's Luke again writing. He says, then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm not only uh, to be imprisoned, but uh, willing to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Jesus knew the time, Jesus knew the place, and Jesus knew the price. You see, when it says that he set his face towards Jerusalem, Jesus is actually fulfilling prophecy. He is, in this moment, fulfilling the prophecy of the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 50. Take your Bibles and go to Isaiah 50. And I want to show you here what is happening in Luke that is fulfilled, fulfilling what was declared in verse 7 of Isaiah 50. But I want to start in Isaiah 50, verse 4. He says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I might know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my, he- my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Who is that? That's Jesus at the cross. That's the prophecy of the suffering servant who is so tuned into the Father's will that he encourages him to go forward even though he is ridiculed and beaten and scorned. Now look at the next verse. Therefore, but the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not disgraced, therefore I have set my face like a flint that I, might know, that, I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. So Jesus is fulfilling the messianic prophecy that a servant would come and suffer, be beaten, give his back to be tortured. That's what he did on the cross. And when he sets his face like a flint, it says here, he's rock solid on Jerusalem. Everything he's doing now is Jerusalem. He's marching towards 
Jerusalem. And I want to add in here, look, at, look back at the Luke passage, Luke chapter 9, because Jesus not only, I was going to say, he not only knew the price, he knew the prize. But Jesus knew the outcome of it all because notice what it says, when the days drew near for him to be what? Taken up. So when Jesus is going towards Jerusalem and he's fulfilling the suffering servant's call in his life and he knows there's suffering ahead of him and the cross is ahead of him, Jesus isn't just thinking cross, crucifixion, misery and suffering he is thinking death resurrection and ascension into heaven and that's what i want you to see the first thing this morning his resolve is not just to go to the cross but to defeat sin at the cross to crush death at the cross to triumph over his enemies at the cross and be seated as the victorious one at the right hand he is ascending to the crown the cross to the crown the thorns to the throne. That's where he's going. And as he's making his way up there, my dear friends, when he is calling us in this text to follow him, to consider letting go whatever's holding us back, when he's doing that, you've got to realize right now, he who succeeded is interceding at the right hand of the Father. Who paid the price? Who knows your suffering? Who weeps and counts every one of your tears? That one is reigning right now. So hear me. When we see in this text of Scripture calls to radical discipleship to take up our cross and follow Jesus, you and I need to stop and just realize we're not doing this ourselves. We are able to do this because He has done it. And we are able to do this because He has won it. He's at the right hand of the Father. Isn't that helpful this morning? So let me just ask you the question this morning again. What boats do you need to burn? What ships need to be scuttled in your life? Look at Jesus and his resolve. Because he was resolved to do this, he did it so that he could help you be resolved to do this. Not in your own strength, but through him who has won the victory. Hebrews writes, fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and the finisher of your faith who for the joy set before him that's the ascension endured the cross despising its shame that's what he did he did it so you could do it in his strength that's the hope of the gospel secondly i want you to see not only his resolve but his rebuke the disciples james and john have been on the mountain they've seen moses and elijah they still haven't got as john showed last week haven't got the lesson quite straight they're competing with one another but it says this in verse 52 he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the samaritans to make preparations for him but the people did not receive him because his face was set towards jerusalem so here Jesus is going from the north to the south. Typical religious Jewish practice was not to go through Samaria. They had a theological difference, an idolatrous difference, they thought, in worship. They worshiped not at Jerusalem, but Mount Gerizim. Now whatever was going on with Jesus, they knew where he was headed. So he sends the disciples to get things ready. They must say Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. And they said thanks, but no thanks. When they hear that Jesus is going to worship at Jerusalem, going from the north to the south, they do not show him any hospitality. 
So the disciples say this. It says, verse 54, And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. I want you to just stop and think about this for a moment. The disciples got Elijah complex, right? They remember Elijah on the mountain with the prophets of Baal calling down fire and consuming not only the offering, but the prophets of Baal, right? And he's saying, you want us to take them out? You want us to consume them? And Jesus turns, and this is what I want you to see in this text. Who does he rebuke in this passage of Scripture? He doesn't rebuke the Samaritans. He rebukes his disciples. Why? Because they want fire to consume them, but Christ has come to be consumed on behalf of sinners. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria, but he did. And why is he going through this and letting his disciples experience the hostility that was against him? Why does he do this? Because I believe what Jesus is doing as he's marching not around Samaria, but through Samaria, is making a declaration, this is my kingdom. This is my land. This march I'm on is for all the nations, for the Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, and to the ends of the earth. It's interesting that in this next chapter, chapter 10, we get the parable of the good Samaritan. Jesus is radically shifting around what the thinking is because the Samaritans are to be rejected. The Samaritans are ungodly. The Samaritans are to be isolated. And Jesus confronts James and John and says, you've got it backwards. You've got fundamental things in your heart that have to change. As long as you want a kingdom that crushes their enemies, you won't get what I'm about to do. And you won't be able to understand what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to be consumed. This echoes back through the Old Testament scriptures, the hope of the gospel. Listen to Lamentations. Uh, the prophet uh, says this, uh, it is because of the Lord's mercies that we are what? Not consumed because his compassions fail not. <laughs> he could have consumed James and John right there for their sin. Not just there, but repeatedly. He could have consumed them, but he's having compassion on them. And he's having compassion on the Samaritans because the call of the cruciform life is a call to be consumed, not to consume. This is a moment of mercy. It's because of the Lord's mercy that anybody here this morning is not consumed. Why are you not consumed under the judgment of God? Because of Christ's face being set towards Jerusalem and in him the compassion of God has been extended to you and to me. And so this is where you and I need to understand that Christ did not come into the world to what? Condemn the world, but the world, that the world might be saved through him. Listen to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. This is basic Christianity 101, but get it into your hearts. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Friends, we've been called to be consumed. So this week, God willing, if I don't, fail whatever's last left this Wednesday I become an American citizen so you, Wednesday morning God willing uh, they let me in the country they're outside but so this may be a presumptuous statement but I'll tell you one of my callings I believe in the church in America one of my callings in the church in America is to tell the church in America America is not your problem We are not in a political war to advance a kingdom. We are in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can do politics all you want. But at the end of the day, we are advancing a kingdom where the crown has already been established. Jesus Christ. And we've been planted to live in this kingdom and be consumed in the ki- for the kingdom of Christ. And so if America goes to hell in a handbasket, we will stand firm under the call of Jesus Christ because that kingdom is an everlasting king and he is already seated on the right hand of the, at the right hand of the Father. We are on the victorious side, right? So set our face on that kingdom firmly. That's what we've been called to. And I fear too many times in too many nations of the world that too many times down through history we have thought that the problem is the Samaritans. But the problem is my soul. That I will not lay down my life for sinners. Thank God Jesus set his face. Stood silent most of the time. Every once in a while, you tell that fox where I'm going and what is going to happen. Isn't that good news? Listen to the rebuke. He doesn't rebuke the Samaritans. He rebukes James and John. Let him rebuke me if I will not bow my knee and follow him in a cruciform life. And finally, let's just look at here at his recruiting just quickly. Consider his recruiting. He won't be delayed. So Jesus' disciples have begun to have success. They've done some miracles. He is starting to get well-known and popular, and the disciples start to come out of the woodwork. And so in verse 57, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to them, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And this is a question, I I want to go back to this truth. The cruciform life, taking up your cross and following Jesus, is not the sacrifice of evil things. Only. It's the sacrifice of good things that hinder the advancement of the gospel. So they come along and say, we want to be your disciples. And Jesus says, you, got to, you notice I'm carrying a very light backpack. The foxes have holes. The birds have nests. Right outside the Waterbrook office, you can go look afterwards. They've got places, but I've got a face set towards Jerusalem. I'm not settling down. This is not the end. That's the end. Triumph. The nations around him. I, don't, I won't have a place. So if, if you're looking, and so this is one of the boats. I say, what boats do we need to burn? What, what, 
What ships do we need to scuttle? And one of them is scuttling the ship of earthly security. We spend so much of our time trying to get to that place of peace. We can just get enough finances. We just get the right house. If the lawn would stop growing weeds, right? We just try to get to that perfect place. My dear friends, he is leading us on an exodus out of this world into a new creation. He's the new Moses, and he's leading us to a better land. I just got to tell you this. No matter how you get the house fixed, you're going to have to fix it next year. How much you get your life in order and your pension in place, the economy's going to go. I can't predict. But your rest isn't going to be there because your home isn't here. And so Jesus says, you guys, let me just be real frank. If you're holding back from following me till you get your life in order and you get your comfort in place and your security there, I'm not your guy. So I don't have any of that. I do have a home. And in my father's house are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare that place for you. So follow me. Isn't that good news? So we need to get rid of the ship of earthly security. Here's, here's an interesting one. We also need to get rid of the ship of, I called it sacred duty. So l- look at the next person that comes up to Jesus. Next person comes up and it says, it says in verse 59, to another he said, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Doesn't that sound harsh to you? It would have sound not just harsh to Jewish ears, it would have sounded sacrilegious. Because one of the honorable things you did as a Jew is you buried your father and mother properly. So you just read through the book of Genesis and watch how important burials were. Burying Abraham, burying Jacob, burying Joseph. Don't bury me here, bury me there. I'll buy a piece of land, the land of memory, and bury me and bury Sarah there, right? You understand, it was sacred duty. And Jesus is saying to this man, let me go and do my sacred duty. And Jesus says, there is a higher sacred duty than that duty. The kingdom of God, the advancement of the gospel, reaching the nations is the highest sacred duty that triumphs. And that was their problem. They couldn't understand Jesus because they had a long list of sacred duties. And in the next chapter, the story of the Good Samaritan, you have a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, gets beaten and robbed. And the priests and the Levites won't help them. Why? Sacred duty. I just want to warn you and I want to warn myself and I meditate on this one of the great dangers that we face is a whole lot of religious stuff that is right that keeps us from listening to Jesus I don't have time in my schedule I don't have room for it I got this 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 and this and suddenly our hearts are hardened and unresponsive to the call of the Holy Spirit but we must live in a constant state of mission and that means I got to crucify my religiosity. You can get really comfortable in good religious activity that's justifiable and be absolutely stone cold to the Holy Spirit and the call of Christ. And we can go through periods, right? We just, we're all looking for a rhythm. The, un- the unfortunate thing is Jesus just loves un- upsetting rhythm. We, we just like to get into that, oh yeah, Oh, yeah. 
This feels good. What? Who? What? What? What now? And Jesus said, come and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. I'm not trying to get you in a religious rhythm. I'm trying to put you where the Holy Spirit is going to save souls, sanctify sinners, change lives. That's the call. That's a good one to look at, isn't it? Now we can do that because he's leading. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the good news. He's leading us. Finally, the ship of family loyalty. Notice what he says here. Yet another said, I will follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at home. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit to the king, for the kingdom of God. Again, he sounds harsh, but he's actually fulfilling Old Testament scripture. I want you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Kings. Go with me to 1 Kings in chapter 19. Why does Jesus say to this man, let me just go say bye to my family. And he says, the one who puts his hand to the what? Plow and turns back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Listen to this story in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah has been told his ministry is over. Elisha is now the new prophet on the block. He's going to take over. And it says this. So he departed, Elijah, from there, found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was doing what? Had his hand to the plow who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. So there's your job, right? It's plowing, cloak on him. I think, there's a, uh, I think plowing's done, right? But listen to what's, what happens here. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me do what? Kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, go back, what have I done to you? (laughs) This is the Lord, right? He's saying, it's not me, it's the Lord. And he returned from following him, took the yoke of his oxen, and sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. He burnt everything and left it. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Elijah let Elisha go back, but I'm greater than Elijah. This is a new Elijah. You calling fire down from heaven? His disciples are listening. I'm telling you this. I'm greater than Elijah. There's no turning back. This cause and call is greater. It's not being lacking compassion. He'll be on the tree saying to John, Mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. He's still mindful of his parents, but what he's saying to us is there's too many times for us that our families become the defining, limiting thing to the responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. And in the kingdom of God, Jesus has forsaken the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinitarian joy of heaven in order to die like an abandoned son. Hearing my, saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me on the tree for you and I? That, that helps us when we're Following Jesus and our family isn't joining us. Following Jesus and they're not approving. Following Jesus and we have to move on. I remember when Lauren went to Honduras to meet this guy. 
I, I, I remember we were in England, and when we got back, she hadn't kissed me on the bald head goodbye. She was gone. The Lord had called her, gave her a job. She went to Las Paneras Academy, and the rest is history. Now, I've seen her, and I've seen her again, thank God. It's not the end of the story. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But for some of us, let's be honest, we're putting everything on, the, on, on hold, and the kingdom is not advancing because we've had an idolatry of family. And thank God the Father gave the Son, and the Son obeyed the Father for our sake. And so let's just come to this text of Scripture and say, Jesus, you know what it's like to leave home, to leave family, to leave love. You, you understand what it's like to face opposition and ridicule. You understand what all of these sacrifices are like, and you intercede for me. Help me, Jesus. Should we do that? And we're going to take communion, and so I'm going to ask you to take communion cups. But let's just take a moment of quiet preparation. Let's just pray for a moment. As the worship team is coming up, if you don't have a communion cup, uh, you can raise it. We'll make sure that you get one over here, over there. Let's bow our heads. Just keep your hand up if you haven't got one, and we'll make sure you get it. Heavenly Father, we see Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Thank you that he did it for us. Thank you that he knew where he was going. Thank you that he triumphed over sin and death. And as we come, dear God, to ask the question, what am I holding on to? What is holding me back? Help us to not look to ourselves, but help us to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Set us free. Call us forward. Help us to rejoice that there is a greater heaven, there is a greater home, there is a homeland, a place of rest in Jesus Christ. And lead us, Jesus. Lead us, we pray. God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.